Hi everyone, welcome back to Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism. I'm Eleni. I'm Jeffrey. And today we are discussing episode four of season five, Tip Canoe and Taylor mm-hmm. 2. I was concerned of how to pronounce Tip Canoe. I thought maybe it was like Tip Tippy Canoe or just not just Tip Canoe. I don't know. On I paper, mean, it's it looks weird. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird title. Um mm-hmm. but also not so weird because this episode really is taylor heavy um yes it is a filler episode did you agree yeah filler because i'll because like a lot of the crucial action that does happen is with side characters so it's can be considered a filler episode i guess yeah it's very uh town people heavy yeah which I guess is good. We don't see a lot of them um, when we're dealing with all the other drama. So mm-hmm. it's nice to see them again, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, I would say there's three main storylines in this episode. So the first is the Taylor stuff and the town. Um, maybe four main storylines. <laughs> uh, so Taylor stuff, town. Then we have Lane's whole situation after... Um, discovering that she herself like Zach. We yes. come back to that storyline. And then we have um, Rory with Dean, which mm. pains me to say. Cringe. Cringe galore. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, it's there. So we got to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then I think, even though it's subtle, I think there's a big Lorelai Luke component in this episode. Yeah. I think it's more um, focused on Lorelai and how she's dealing with this new relationship. And even then, it's like, it's subtle. It's not, it's still not a driving force. No, not at all. But I mean, it is there. And I think she comes to certain realizations about her relationship. But yeah, it's not Mm -hmm. the main focus of the episode by a long shot. Yeah. Um, which seems to be a common theme for Luke and Lorelai thus far in season five like I wouldn't call it an afterthought but it's definitely some kind of slow burn background music type of approach yeah it's almost as if they're like we did so well with their slow burn storyline we're gonna keep it for as long as possible (laughs) yeah um but you know we do get to see them um Mm -hmm. a little bit domesticated so the first, the opening scene is um, Lorelai coming down for breakfast and Luke is cooking her breakfast in her kitchen. Yes. Um, And I think, God, it's so true. It's moments like these, scenes like these, where you realize it's so true that she's not at all flexible. No, and I want to smack her. <laughs> yeah, in this scene in particular, I was like, he's doing a nice thing. He's making you breakfast. She's like, but I go to Luke's. I'm like, but he is Luke. Yeah. It's like, I thought we were going to lose breakfast because I like like breakfast. Like, you're fucked. Like, Luke is in your fucking kitchen. Like, ugh. yeah. I don't and understand. I think, yeah. And it's one of those things where you're like, if they were still friends, mm-hmm. he would be like, oh, it's just Lorelai. She's being crazy. Yeah. But now it's like kind of his problem. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. He, you're right in saying that she's really not flexible in terms of, 
her things. It's like, okay, you, you can have your things and still be in a relationship and need your space. But in terms of you, you waking up, like she walks downstairs, like literally just, just woken up, woken up and yeah. making her breakfast. The first thing you say is, this is really nice, but it's not on par with my um, aura for the day or something like, oh, leave me alone. You just made like, he just made you breakfast yeah, Eat it and, he, and shut up. Yeah, that's the thing. I was thinking in my head, I was like, you know, she could have said, thank you. It's so nice eaten with him because how often does Luke not open the diner? You know, yeah, um, and like take a minute to sit and eat with you in the morning. Exactly. So she could have done all that. And then maybe later on said, you know, I kind of like the fact because I could understand what she was saying of like, I like my routine going out and like that I get, you know, yeah. but there wasn't a better way to handle that, I feel like. And yeah, maybe yeah. we're reading too much into it, but my God, it bugged me. No, it does bug me too. And it's supposed to be funny. And I think because we've watched it so many times yeah. that it's not funny anymore which is a common theme for us when Anna yeah has- I mean it is hilarious when they have that whole conversation but I'm Luke you know it's like reminiscent of their banter going back and forth mm-hmm. uh, like early season banter but I'm also just like your boyfriend wanted to do something nice for you you twat yeah exactly like, you could have eaten with him and then like he's packing up the breakfast and bringing it to the restaurant <laughs> i know like so ridiculous oh almost like she's insistent on actually never using her kitchen to create food it's like yeah. it's against it it's against its nature we can't ever use my my household appliances to actually make food but it's that's annoying religion. too like okay we get it you're quirky you don't cook huh like <laughs> you know oh so i always think back to the the salad in a bag from season one. Oh my <laughs> god i was about to say because you know when um so recently a gilmore girls cookbook came out mm-hmm. and my first thought which we may or may not do a bonus episode about uh but my first thought was they're gonna teach us how to put dressing in a bag of lettuce yeah <laughs> Because no, <laughs> absolutely not, you know? Yeah. Um, there are other scenes throughout the show, like sprinkled throughout the show where she's like, you know, they use napkins instead of plates, not getting plates dirty, uh, plastic spoons because they don't want to wash the spoon. You know, like, I get it. You don't cook. Yeah. And is the book going to, is the book, is the book going to teach me how to lay out pop tarts on a plate with an apple in the middle? Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> hold on yeah, to your we have, hat we have, <laughs> we have mixed feelings about the Gilmore Girls cookbook just because it's 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 strange to make a cookbook for a show in which the two main characters are so like vehemently against cooking and baking themselves it yeah. just feels yeah. feels uh what's the word like counterproductive <laughs> I was gonna say dumb feels dumb Dumb. um let's do like unless it was some kind of like luke's cookbook of like food you found at luke's diner like if it was angled a different way i think it might have worked better yeah so i don't want to give like all of my thoughts away because we have been toying with doing a bonus episode about it 
But you've had thoughts about this for a long time. <laughs> I've had so many thoughts because um, it's it's a thing. The more I do research about it, the more it's um, it's like a marketing ploy yeah. for not just Gilmore Girls, but like for a lot of different movies and shows. Yeah. And I wanted to get down to the nitty gritty of it in our bonus episode because it's not just this show. They're just they're using a time old tradition, <laughs> um, but it is. From what I understand, the official Gilmore Girls cookbook, because there's a lot of unofficial Gilmore Girls cookbooks, um, the official one does like a mix of like Suki's famous risotto that we learned about in season two and like Luke's burger and stuff like that. Um, But also a mix of like some really iconic foods that we see throughout the show, like the Santa burger, which I don't know why you need a fucking recipe for that, because that was disgusting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So no. anyways, we have thoughts on that, but all that to say, um, why are you so inflexible, girl? Yeah, like, move on. <laughs> move on. And then that brings me to, um, well, I, I, I guess since we're still on the topic of Lorelai and Luke, I just want to talk about how they're kind of, Suki and Lorelai are like campaigning in Luke's. Yes. And he's like, you cannot gather here. <laughs> Well, you're dumping ahead a few points. <laughs> no, I know. But I'm just like, I just, it's it's just another example to me of like how she's kind of inconsiderate of his feelings. Like, that's his business. Yeah. You exactly. know? And God forbid somewhere to, someone were to do that to your business, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I know it's like meant to, I, I think they're still trying to, bridge the gap between Luke and Lorelai as bantering friends where he's like, no, no, no. And she's like, I'm adorable. Ha ha ha. Um, I think there's, they're trying to like emulate that in their actual relationship, Yeah, but I still find it so annoying. I might, I always think back to the episode where Luke gets new menus as the worst possible moment of, like Lorelai complaining of yeah. how she had made doodles in every single one of the old menus. Yeah. She just keeps harping on it and harping on it. And it just, and there, there's a few times for me like that where it just, it, it goes beyond just a cute, annoying, adorable joke into like, get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> yeah. Like he has infinite patience, um, yeah. I think. Considering all of those times and he was still madly in love with her. Exactly. I mean, but that's that's what I wanted to tell you to ask you more, you know, is there do you think he was more lenient with her um because he was so in love with her and he was just like, "Oh, whatever. Let Lorelai be Lorelai and adorable, you know?" Or I don't know. I don't know how to say this like because a regular business owner, somebody who's doodled on all their menus, Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be like, "Fuck off!" Menus are expensive to print, you know. Yeah, I think in that instance, it was just like a maybe even maybe he hadn't even noticed like this. I don't think she was like drawing hugely all over the actual. No, text, but I'm saying like, but... okay, forget the menus, whatever. But like all the instances of her like annoying him, like I'm supposed to bring your truck back at three, but now it's four. And I did, wasn't considerate of the fact that you have somewhere to go. You know what I mean? Like yeah, all the, this accumulation of behavior throughout the seasons 
that's really not considerate of other people's time and feelings, right? Yeah. Um, do you think he let it slide all those years because they were such good friends? Because, you know, he's just a nice guy or like, what is it? I think it's a combination of he is a general, gen- genuinely kind person. Yeah. And a, like a, and a good friend to her, but like also that he was in love with her all that time. And so not, not that like he, not that that didn't matter that, Oh, whatever, do what you want, walk all over me. But he, right. I think he was more flexible with her, ironically, in a way that he wasn't with others because he was, you know, so madly in love. But I think it, like, it, it reaches a point where it's annoying, where it's more annoying on her side because she take like, remember in season two when she was like shocked when Rory told her like everyone knows he has a thing for you when she got engaged to Max and it was like mm-hmm. you have to tell Luke and she's like what he's a thing for me like okay girl <laughs> you almost went out in season one and you made us wait four years so listen yeah. we know it's a thing it's almost as like she's it's and it's the way that, that the character's written too and it's not a mark necessarily on the show itself but more just a trope that is seen in umpteen pieces of fiction it's just like the more or less immature commitment phobic woman takes advantage of the you know the handsome friend's good nature and it's like so obvious that the handsome male friend is in you know crushing on her or is in love with her and she's just like what really I never considered this like Okay, I understand you. You have your maybe you have your own issues. Is that's that's preventing you from seeing this to the full extent that it, you can possibly see it. But don't tell me you're not playing dumb and taking advantage of an, of a man's good nature and kindness because you, some part of you knows that he's into you. And the biggest other example I can think of off the top of my head of this is Len- Leonard and Penny on The Big Bang Theory, right? Which that to and fro happened for years and he, arguably even after they got married it was still that same dynamic yeah so it's more yeah like it's more it's more a trope than anything else it's not a mark on gilmore girls but, yeah no i get it <laughs> um but it's annoying it is annoying and i think it's um yeah i mean <laughs> i don't know i don't care how in love you are with somebody if i need my car i need my fucking car <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, like I for sure that that Lorelai took advantage of Luke's good nature and kindness, regardless of his feelings towards her. She took advantage of that a lot of different times, and it reaches a point where it's not not it's not cute or funny. Like it's you're you're messing with someone's time and commitments. Yeah, but evidently Luke is clearly a hermit and didn't actually need his truck that time. But no, I know I'm just using that as an example. It's your truck. It's your it's your truck. If you you say if I say I need my vehicle, I vehicle I don't have to justify it to you but I think that's also just um like a Lorelai thing where she very like I know she's the main character of the show but she also just lives her life as if she's the main character and nobody else matters oh absolutely and would you not also agree that that's like 90% of the character's like nostalgic appeal on like Gen Z social media of like, I'm the main, like I'm emulating Lorelai Gilmore main character energy. Like that's where that comes from is because the character has this vibe and personality that just like 
she's it. Like, <laughs> I'm yeah, the it I girl, even, even if, I don't know. You know? No, no, I completely agree. I think that's part of her appeal to younger generations um, mm-hmm. who are a little bit more selfish, I feel like. Um, and also, you weren't even alive when this was taking place. And if you were, you were like a fetus. Okay, but so we're not going to keep the girls. No, I'm not. No, okay. Not <laughs> not to gatekeep or anything, but like it's, I think it only took me growing up into my, my mid later 20s to like realize what other adults kind of were feeling when kids who weren't even alive yet were I'm not going to say like commodifying or, you know, claiming some, some form of nostalgia or era as their own, but it's like, it is kind of annoying sometimes to act, to watch people acting as if they know, they, they know exactly what that was like when you weren't even born yet. And I know that because I was kind of like that in a little, in some ways and other adults took no, you know, took, didn't waste any time in pointing it out to me. So I think I'm just hyper aware of it now as an adult, but but I think uh, I think that's just the thing that every generation believes that like a certain time was either easier or like romanticizes other generations. You know what I mean? That's just that's just yeah, that happens regardless of time and place. Yeah, I think that's just the thing that happens. <laughs> like um everyone goes through that phase, I feel like. Um but she exudes um a very selfish energy i feel yeah. like yeah that you don't realize until you're actually older and like an adult and living in the world you know what i mean so that's why it always bugged me that and look these are characters that you know it's fiction i get it but it always bugged me that people were like oh my god rory is so selfish when i'm like lorelei's right there <laughs> or yeah we we've discussed this at length before of the ways in which people will nitpick aspects of Rory's character that she so clearly got from Lorelai and it's yeah like who do you think raised her yeah and it's like the the ways in which a certain generation or subset of viewers will interpret Rory's character it's like it's very clear internalized misogyny to me because it's like you're taking this out on the child who and then, you know, for, for the, at this point, Rory is not technically a child anymore. But when this, for the first, you know, what, three, four seasons, she was still technically a child. Mm-hmm. Okay, season three, whenever she turned 18. But, you know, was still a, like was was a child when the show started. Um, It's just weird. It's just weird to me to watch like grown ass men and women watching this show however many decades later. And you're like taking it's just to me, you're taking a lot of your own repressed cultural anxieties out on Roy Gilmore but that's another story so yeah <laughs> I mean but I think it's the last thing I'll say about that is I think it's just it's easy to do that like when you grow up and revisit stuff with a different lens I guess with your adult glasses on yeah um you know there's all kinds of tweets about all kinds of show shows excuse me saying like Actually, he was the worst because of these reasons. And you're like, okay, we know. Just that—that's honestly just becomes something, something that people do for clout, like in terms of, you know, pointing out all the ways that Dean was toxic. Like, okay, we agree. Obviously, we've we've you know we've listened to this podcast. You know that we agree. But it's like, you, can, did you get your retweets and likes out of it? 
because yeah, it's, I get not, it. it's not you know like it's old news at this point <laughs> i mean we still do it but <laughs> yeah um, i mean yeah no we're complicit in that i can't really i can't really blame you in terms of yeah i can't really speak so <laughs> <laughs> um anyways whatever um the last thing i'll say about the luke and lorelei stuff is that so at the end of the episode the last scene is lorelei going up to luke's apartment um, bringing him champagne to like celebrate mm-hmm. and her being completely oblivious to the fact that he's sleeping and yeah. having this like realization of like oh my god you go to sleep early because you wake up early the math is nothing and you're just like <laughs> you're like yeah you ding dong like where do you think he was going and I just Ugh. think like for me it was really eye-opening it was eye-opening for her like I think she's never had to really make an effort in a lot of her relationships. Mm-hmm. She's either been like too young. Cause let's face it with Max, she was, I still feel like not mature enough. Um, you know, it's with, with Jason, she went along with, he went along with her not wanting to tell their parents yet. You know, like she's always gotten her way in relationships is what I'm trying to say. Right. Well, um, I feel, I feel like it's important to reiterate and reconsider like how emotional like Lorelai's like physical age versus versus her like emotional age at this is very different and I think we saw a lot of that with with Max more so than any any other relationship I would argue but Mm -hmm. um and that like if you think about it just logistically going out to like her going up late at night or however late it was clearly late enough for Luke to be in bed because he gets up at four. Um, she goes up with champagne like, oh, you were sleeping? Like that to me is like, what are you dating? Are you dating a high schooler? Like, you, it's like, you know, as if like, oh, you're going to bed early because you're old. <laughs> I'm, you know, like that's almost what it reminds me of like of men like Charlie Harper would have dated on Two and a Half Men, like that kind of <laughs> That kind of vibe is what I get from her going upstairs with champagne and realizing like, oh, you go to bed early. It's like Lorelai's not that young or that stupid, but because of the circumstances in which she came of age, like a lot of, I think a lot of her socialization in that area was impacted greatly and profoundly. Yeah. I also think though, it's just more indicative to me anyways, of the fact that she doesn't because she's a little bit and a little bit because she's been very selfish you know mm-hmm. um i think it's safe to say that more people like people know more about lorelei than she knows about them yeah um and that's not to say she's not a good friend or whatever but like i think this is a pattern with her like mm-hmm. luke, luke pays attention more because i don't know if he's just a better friend or like we said he loved her he's loved her for so long but it's a thing i feel like you know she she doesn't there's a perfect like saying in Quebecois but I'm not gonna say it but like she doesn't (laughs) get it like she it's the first time I feel at least in a relationship that she's really had to kind of bend if you Mm -hmm. will yeah um because in all her other relationships they were the guys were perfectly fine to do what she wanted to do and she was you want to talk about inflexible she was super inflexible with her other relationships right yeah in this instance like we start from a place of her being like well i don't want to eat here i eat at luke's and then maybe realizing 
that a relationship is a give and take and it mm-hmm. can always be about her. Yeah. So like she's going upstairs and he's like, oh yeah, you wake up early because you, you know, you sleep early because you wake up early and you don't really like champagne. Like she's starting to realize, I think even for her, that she's like, you know, you have to start paying attention to these things because now you're dating someone, you know? Yeah. And it can't just be about you. That's not what a relationship is. And it's almost interesting to think about it through this lens because we were big champions of Jason and Lorelai's relationship in season four and the very healthy aspects of that relationship that kind of weren't necessarily present in the Luke and Lorelai debacle. But I don't know. It's just like when you put it in that context, it's like even despite all of the healthiest aspects of Lorelai and Jason, it was like her selfishness was still there, was still present. I think Jason was just a different fit. And so we didn't, it wasn't at the forefront of the conversation necessarily. Whereas now it's blaringly obvious, like you have to adapt and, you know, uh, compromise in a relationship in ways that you might not have had to before in your life if you haven't had this kind of relationship before. Yeah. And I think she's also just starting to realize that, you know, this relationship is different. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe she cares about it way more than she did with when she was with um, Max or when she was with Jason. So oh, you're gonna say Kirk? I was like, Lorelai never dated Kirk. <laughs> no, girl, I know. I was she almost Chris- did, but not really. <laughs> no, I know. I was gonna say Christopher actually, but no. Um, I dare not speak his name. Um. But yeah, I think she's also just realizing, like, I have to put in some effort here, too, right? Which is a great place to be, considering where we started in this episode. Um, But, you know, we'll see if that really translates. Spoiler alert, it doesn't. But um, I think on both of their ends, um, you know, there's a lot of things about the relationship that go wrong. But before we, before we move on, I have to ask you, because I need to know now, what is the Quebecois phrase? <laughs> why <laughs> don't tell me i want to know what it is because now that now that you said it i was like if you just said it out, out, outright without warning me i would have been triggered but now exactly I so i didn't say it there's also a greek phrase and so it's starting to piss me off that there's no english phrase okay please tell me either the greek one or the quebecois one well you won't know the greek one so i'll tell you the quebecois one it's um a catch oh that is quebecois and then that is yeah, gross. you know a catch and we'll I actually can't... say that oh you know I think we've clarified this before. Please do not romanticize French Canadians. They're gross. I do not associate with them. <laughs> well, now you're not no. French Canadian, bitch. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> no, I know, but um, don't 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 tell all French Canadians they're gross. <laughs> okay, your their franglais is gross. Yeah, their language is kind of gross. So that I agree That's with. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. Their language and their culture and their insistence on taking away rights from English speaking Quebecers. Oh yeah, that's gross. Story. Let's be honest. Um so, but that's that's, gross. that's for another day. Um okay, let's move on to um Rory and Dean. Uh we must. <laughs> um, I mean, okay, let's move on to Rory's storyline, I guess, because we see her in school. We see Paris a little bit, but the bulk of the Rory scenes in this episode revolve around Dean, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very triggered. 
Can we get through an entire podcast episode without one of us being triggered? I really don't think so. No, I doubt it. We're snowflakes. Um, <laughs> but so, okay, well, I was going to start with saying something, but then uh, I'll kind of go chronologically. Um, Rory's back at school, obviously. She's in the full swing of it. She's been there for a couple of weeks now. Um, and she and Dean are very much trying to find, I guess, a schedule that works for them um times that work for them i don't know um it just this whole episode was just such a revelation i think for both of them of like we didn't think this through at all um, yeah and it's kind of hard it's kind of hard for me to to ignore now what you said um in our last episode about how like the like the logistics of this relationship don't exist they are non-existent yeah. like it does not make any sense but we imploded a marriage and we kind of have to what feel obliged to each other for a bit before we can move on with our lives. Yeah, basically. That's all I can think of. <laughs> yeah. It's like I said last time, they're essentially dating because you know, they feel like they have to after what they did. Um, and that's not great. <laughs> but so anyways, Dean comes over to the dorm. Paris is there. She's shocked to see him. She calls him farm boy, which I love her for. Um, and Paris also got her printing press. Yeah, so Paris got her 300-pound printing press. Um, put it on Roy's book bag. You know, perfect decor for a dorm room. Um, <laughs> you know, Paris rightfully pointed out that you can start your own newsletter. It really has so many great uses for a bunch of 20-year-olds. Um, oh, yeah absolutely so Paris <laughs> you know polishing her new toy and Dean walks in and honestly we get some really banger Paris lines in this episode her talking yeah, about back with farm boy like I you would not you would not hesitate to think of who she's talking about she's talking she's referring to Dean he's 100% referring to Dean thank you <laughs> <laughs> um you know I love her lines about needing batteries, needing a three-minute warning. Um, I love also how sex positive she is. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I don't care. You guys are obviously going to be having sex. Just let me know because I'm going to put my headphones on. But don't worry about it, you know? like, Yeah. Like, you go, Paris. <laughs> um, and it, it's, I think that's, that's a really overlooked part of Paris's character where she's just, like, she's very straight up in terms of, like, being realistic of what's going what's gonna to happen, what's not going to happen. And she's always kind of been like that. Whereas comparatively, Rory is a prude. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I would say she's a prude, but she's definitely Paris is definitely more logical in the sense of like she thinks things through way more than Rory does, right? Um, yeah. Sometimes that's a fault of hers because sometimes you know you just got to go with the flow. <laughs> um, but I definitely think she puts a lot more thought into certain details shall we say like if this relationship between rory and dean taught us anything is that they're not they're not big funkers okay um but i mean you could argue that that was paris last year like i don't think she thought through the fact that she fell for an older man what do you think terrence the life coach would have had to say about her dating asher i miss him my theory is that like honestly she kicked him to the curb because she knew he wouldn't approve yeah and she was like, I don't need this energy in my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I don't need Terrence telling me I'm a whore. 
Um, and then after when it went and died and was like, oh crap, I need my life coach back. Basically, I think she's like really struggling right now without her life coach. Um, but I don't think he would have approved. Yeah. Um, because anyone with eyes could see that that was not good for her. <laughs> um, but anyways, so, you know, Dean shows up there, you know, canoodling, I guess. Paris is all concerned about the fact that they might be having sex and she needs headphones. Um, and then throughout the episode, there's this very awkward back and forth of them trying to figure out, like teenagers again, where to date, basically. Yeah. Can we talk about how much of a shady bitch Dean's mom is? <laughs> well, you know what? I thought about this. Like, and no, no, like, and no shade on her for being a shady bitch. I'm saying like just commenting like you're a shady bitch no, yeah no, so... no uh what is i'm blank on the phrase now what no tea no shade no pink lemonade <laughs> yeah i don't oh god it's tough because i was thinking i remember being young and thinking like oh his mom just let leave them alone you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but then i i think about it and i'm like your 20 year old son just cheated on his wife and you thought you had gotten him out of the house. Now he's back. And he's bringing his mistress with him. And, <laughs> you know, like, it must be hard for... I'm, I'm thinking about what Dean said about, like, this whole thing being really tough on his father. He barely leaves the basement kind of thing. Um, you know, it's a small town. It can't be easy to then be going around town... As the people whose son cheated on Lindsay and like broke, you know what I mean? Like it has to be really embarrassing for them too. I'm will- and I'm willing to bet more of that humiliation like fell on Dean's parents than it did on for sure. Dean- like I think Dean or Lindsay. Yeah, because Ugh, I don't know. I think it's just really tough for parents in that situation. Um I don't know. I, I the more I think about it, the more sympathy I have for his parents. We never and, see Dean that. We, we never see Dean's father, do we? No. No, we don't. But the more I think about it, the more sympathy I have for his parents and the more I kind of understand their cold shoulder towards Rory. Like, I wouldn't be thrilled with it either, you know? And at the end of the day, my yeah, my son's an adult, but this is still my house, you know? Yeah. And I wouldn't be happy with him bringing... Rory over and we know they're gonna have set you know what I mean like it's not great it's an all-around not great situation and by the way I think there's a reason that Rory's not going to her house well <laughs> considering you know? considering how Lorelai kind of reacts when she goes to crash there later it's well she knows like I don't think she like you know when they're in the woods by the way go to the wooded area to have sex in the car Tell me you're not teenagers again. In Rory's small ass car. <laughs> yeah, with the fucking Jolly Green Giant. But anyway, <laughs> um, that's the thing. Like, I feel like they're both regressing. <laughs> like, and it's just not fun to watch at this point. But, you know, they're talking about where they can go. And she's like, well, we can try your house again. He's like, no, not my house. My parents are there. And, you know, he's also very embarrassed, I'm sure. And then there's a reason nobody brings up going to her childhood home. Mm hmm. You know, like considering a... how, yeah, go ahead. Like considering how, like 
Lorelai reacted the first time it was caused a rift that yeah you know, I mean running away to Europe I also think there's a reason why you know Dean doesn't suggest it either because he's like Lorelai already caught me red-handed like we don't want to redo that right um yeah it was just like an a completely awkward situation for everyone involved Lorelai included I don't think anybody necessarily wants to revisit that and even I think Lorelai I think Lorelai puts aside her awkward feelings towards the situation by like justifying it to herself it's like well at least it's Dean he was good for the first time yeah but I think that's just her trying to convince herself yeah no it's just it's just her trying to delude herself into thinking it's it's it could be worse you know yeah so I don't I don't I'm not on board. Um but can we talk about can we talk about Clara though? Yeah. Cause I because I really could have gotten it could have gotten into teenage Clara. You know, I hated her when she was a child. Well, because she insulted your husband. That too. But even she still is a child, obviously she's a teenager now. But I find that like my main can, issue... I, can, can I tell you why you like her? Can I guess? Yeah, you're gonna know. <laughs> she's listened to Avril Living. Yeah, I was gonna say another reason I hate Dean. He makes Clara turn down Avril Lavigne. Like, well, by the way, those walls are paper thin. Yeah, well, I'm sorry if I was Clara. Do you want to hear him freaking making out with his high school girlfriends? No, no. thanks. No, I wouldn't. But go to a motel know. like fully grown, seedy adults. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, yeah, it was. Uh, I'm surprised they kept the same actress. Like I'm just saying, I could have like I found my but my main issue with Clara when she was younger was that like the act I think the actress was a certain age and they had either written her or instructed her to act younger than she was like she was very whiny yeah she was whiny and I found that like just based on the actress's height and appearance like hey you're you look like you're acting too young for this part you know that's what bothered me the most even like especially when she like would when, when in season one when she went over when Roy went over to the house and was like oh I'm selling whatever which was like being a, pretending to be a girl scout and then starts crying and it's like okay and then in season three when they go to the carnival mm-hmm. she's like I want this I want that and it's like you're not four you look at least like you're eight stop it <laughs> stop it I don't know, yeah. I don't know. That's, that's, that was what annoyed me about Clara the first time around whereas in this one appearance I feel like she's just acting her age and that yeah, that I mean, is a, is a bit more tolerable. Luckily, she's not in the show long enough for us to really have an opinion on her. But I agree, she was annoying. Um, you don't turn down my happy ending by Avril Lavigne. I'm sorry, that's just not what you do. <laughs> that's what I do. But okay, you can go away. <laughs> thanks. The one thing, the one redeeming Dean thing in this episode, and I hate to even say it. But Mm -hmm. the one time he was a decent human being was when he's telling Rory that he doesn't want to rub the relationship in Lindsay's face. I was like, okay. Um, Maybe he didn't phrase it the right way and his tone was quite hostile when he said it. But it was the one time, I think, throughout this whole ordeal where he showed some decency um, and wasn't a complete asshole. Oh, see, I one hundred percent disagree. Okay, <laughs> I see where you're get. I see what you're getting at in terms of he's acknowledging, you know, Lindsay's 
role in the whole situation of not wanting to quote unquote flaunt it or whatever it is. And, but I think like, A, do you know Roy Gilmore? She wouldn't be the kind to like flaunt anything. No, but I don't think flaunting means in this case, like, ha 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 ha, we're together. It just flaunting in this case after you've literally just had a very public breakup is can be simply like walking down the street holding hands, you know, like nobody wants to see that after you've just been cheated on. Yeah, it doesn't mean they're going to be flaunting it. And Rory was I think Rory took it the same way. She's like, I'm not going to be rubbing her nose in it because, of course, she wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But in this case, flaunting can simply be her Lindsay seeing them together, you know? Yeah, her- I think I just kind of disagree based on the uh, aggression that Dean. Just yeah, no. So he was definitely very out of line with the way he spoke to her. Like, fuck you. Um, and I think it happens a lot in their relationship that he tries to blame her. He projects on her a lot. Yeah, like they were both complicit. And yeah. the, the dis what's the term and the dissolution of the marriage and for you to you know misdirect your anger onto her but I don't want to rub Lindsay's nose and blah, blah, blah. it's like okay well Lindsay was your wife like why don't you deal yeah. with your drama and leave not not leave me out of it because she was part of it but it's like deal with your shit and I'll deal with mine thank you yeah no I understand what you're saying um. And I do think that every single time they've dated, he's always projected his own shit on her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also hate that she apologizes him for him so much. Like, you know, at the end when he comes to apologize for yelling at her or like whatever, taking that tone with her. She's like, Dean, it's a lot. You're doing great. I'm like, no, he's not. He's literally not. He's still working at he's still working at Dozie's market. Like, no. I mean, like <laughs> that's the least of his problems at least he has he has a job you know but i'm saying (laughs) i'm saying it's just like you're doing great no you're not and again i think that's rory kind of trying to make him feel better but also make herself feel better because they're all realizing that they didn't think this through yeah so i mean ugh. and then when they're talking at the rally and she's like, I need to ask you something, but I don't want you to get mad. Mm-hmm. And she asks him if he would have left Lindsay, even if she hadn't caught them. And he's like, of course. Fucking liar. Absolutely. You're a liar. Yeah, because we both know. And we've seen, again, this is not a mark on Gilmore Girls. It's a trope throughout much of North American fiction and probably international fiction um, of you know, the the other woman and he who keeps insisting that the man's going to leave his wife because that's what he says, but always keeps making excuses. Yep. And it's in this situation, I think the way I could have seen it, seen it played out if Lindsay hadn't have, you know, found that letter and everything that would have, everything that ensued thereafter, it would have just been Dean continuing to make excuses of like, no, I can't do that because she needs this and she needs the car and she needs money and she's not going to have this. And it's like, would I don't know how Roy would have would have dealt with that situation. I feel like I would like to believe that Rory had more self-respect than to put herself through that. But that would be a very big what if. <laughs> I really believe that 
he so first of all i think he's a liar i don't think that if Lindsay had found the i don't think that if she hadn't found the letter in his jacket he would have left her as much as he was telling rory like yeah it's over we both know it's over blah 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 no i don't think no you're a liar you're a liar um and so you know when rory leaves and goes to europe I think that was her way of saying, like, you have to deal with your own shit. Yeah. And, like, you decide, are you leaving her or not? Because, let's be honest, if the marriage was over, like he said it was, and you both knew it to be true, how many weeks? It was, like, six weeks that Rory was away. Mm -hmm. Right? You had plenty of time to tell her. Yeah. That it was over. Okay, you didn't have to tell her that you cheated, but you could have told her it's over. But for those six weeks, let's say it's six weeks, let's say it's a month, whatever, however long it is, you were still pretending that everything was good and you were married and she was oblivious. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's only when you had a backup, you know, and that she found you out that you're like, of course we would have been together. No. (laughs) No. No, sir. (laughs) Absolutely not. I think, like, any man in that situation would have been a liar. Like, of course. Like, mm, easier said than done, my friend. Well, yeah, because let's let's imagine what would have happened if he had said no. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't have gone well for him. But, um, and he does need a backup, let's be honest. So, yeah. he's trash. In conclusion, he's trash. And he will continue to be trash until the day this podcast ends. Okay? Yeah, well, that was a given. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just, it's not, it's not, you're already seeing two relationships, two relationships, two episodes into this relationship. And you're already like, oh, honey, what a train wreck. Like, it's not anyone can foresee the calamity that is about to happen. Yes. And that will be a whole other discussion. (laughs) Yes. All right. Let's move on to the townsfolk. I have a hot take about this aspect of the episode. Tell me. So, as we know, Taylor is being Taylor, the annoying little tyrant that he is, and is um, insisting that Jackson built his greenhouse um, too close to the edge of his property, apparently. Mm -hmm. And in order to remedy this, he would have to tear it down and rebuild it, Um, which, of course, Jackson is not, not in the position to do. And so, out of sheer outrage he decides he's going to run for town selectman which you know not thinking things through seems to be another common theme of season five so far yeah um, but also just a common theme of jackson and suki of jackson and i think it has to like it has to do it it t- definitely ties in with his and suki's inability to properly communicate mm-hmm. i find like if you don't no, if you like, if you don't know how to think things through, then you're obviously not going to know how to communicate. Like, I feel like that's just that's something that goes hand in hand. But right, <laughs> so leads to a whole campaign, a whole campaign. Like, I love I love how like he he's like I'm going to run and I'm going to beat you, and this happens on one episode, even though like the election was already happening before Jackson announced, like Jackson just declared his his candidacy, I guess. Um, so it was like an optimal time for him to do that but um i don't know just seemed seemed quite uh fast paced that we go from outrage to i'm running to i'm winning to a campaign to a pep rally whatever the hell that was um 
anyway, my hot take is that Suki goes into like, I don't know, first lady mode. And she's yeah, like, she's like, the first lady of Stars Hollow now. Yeah. And she's in this like this pink pantsuit. And I've thought this ever since the first time I watched Gilmore Girls, which for context happens to be in the year 2016. So every single time I watch this episode, I think to myself, especially when Suki's on the stage with like waving her arms and being like, you know, Jackson, Jackson Velvet, like, you know, just chanting and showing this weird ass chaotic support. Um, <laughs> my hot take is, ladies and gentlemen, Suki in the pink pantsuit is giving Sarah Palin. Woof. <laughs> That's the hottest take. Reminds me, reminds me of reminds me of Sarah Palin because if you recall in 2016 when she uh, endorsed Mr. Trump, um, there was this ridiculous and I and I honestly I looked up this video on YouTube before we were recording, so I was like wanted to make sure I wasn't misremembering this, and I wasn't. It was like I found there's this whole 20 minute video from ABC News of the whole speech that she gave endorsing Trump. It literally sounds like someone on drugs. Well, she always sounded like that. Let's yeah, and it's just like, like Saturday Night Live's work was cut out for them with that. Like her voice is just so easy to make fun of. Like she literally sounds like Jessica Chastain playing Tammy Faye Baker. Like she sounds like a cartoon character or something. I don't know. She's also not the brightest bulb in the tanning bed. No, she is not. Uh, So (laughs) I don't know. To me, just the whole overall energy that Suki gives is giving Republican energy, first of all, and also just reminds me of Sarah Palin. It's just etched in my brain that way. And that's my hot take. <laughs> All right. Let's go with it. <laughs> um, yeah. The whole concept of a town selectman. Yeah. I guess the equivalent would be the mayor. But Stars Hollow has this really weird thing where they don't have a courthouse and they decide like disputes in their town meetings <laughs> and like it's almost too democratic yeah we do know based on the little research we did early on in our podcast that like mm. town meetings and town selectmen's are an are a thing in smaller, yeah, yeah i know they're a thing it's in smaller just... town i think it's more like how realistic is is the portrayal of stars hollow in this aspect and that i wouldn't know so if any listeners have you know lived in a town with a selectman and this kind of uh you know quote unquote democratic approach uh please please let us know because uh this is very foreign (laughs) foreign to our way of life i mean the reason i say it's almost too democratic is because they literally vote on everything it's almost as if there's a referendum every town meeting you know picks are bad moving on yeah, like we need to have a vote about what to do about tick season. That would never fly in the <laughs> city, you know? Like, no. <laughs> anyways, so um, all this to say, I do think Taylor is kind of made for the role only yeah. because nobody else gives um, as much of a fuck as he does. Yeah, for sure. Um, But I can totally see the entire town having enough of him. Oh, yeah, it was more like that was not the re- unrealistic aspect for me. No, of course not. That was like, yeah, we get it. Yeah, like it was more so like you said, nobody else gives that much of fu- gives that much of a fuck to be town selectman. Like Taylor Josie clearly has very little in his life. Yeah. Um, so no one would, act- no one like 
no one cares as much as him so no one wants no one wants that role but at the same time like if someone else if someone wanted to volunteer like obviously we're going to support him because it's taylor dosey like get out of my face so and I mean, it's, no that that makes perfect sense to me and it's just also i was thinking about it the other day i was like how realistic is it that you're going to run for town selectman and then be able to change the municipal code to make yeah. it so that your your greenhouse is okay <laughs> like hmm. i feel like it would, i feel like it would be more just like if i'm in charge what i say goes and i say the greenhouse is fine like i'm yeah i think well, in terms of like actual codes and laws we weren't actually thinking that far ahead well clearly nobody's thinking in this episode like no, no adult is thinking in this episode um but yeah i do think it's very much a town where they're like all right taylor does it whatever we have to live with taylor it's fine and then there's like fresh blood and they're like you know what we've actually had enough of taylor yeah um, and he does win by a landslide, Jackson does, so, you know. Which makes sense, because given the, like, that was the thing, no one actually wanted to run against Taylor Dosey, because A, no one cares, no one cares that much, and B, no one, like, no one has the time of day to take over that job. Well, so. even Jackson was saying it in his acceptance speech, I can't, <laughs> what, what am I doing? And I'm like, it's a little late, bucko. Yeah, because Taylor, what, Taylor owns half the town, owns a candy store and a grocery store like he owns them but he has employees running them so he has he has the time of day whereas someone like jackson or literally anybody else with a day job would not yeah also it's not just it's not that really it's not that exciting like municipal politics matter <laughs> but probably not as much in a town like stars hollow <laughs> like, you know, like, can you even imagine being town selectman of stars hollow no i cannot even imagine like like putting aside all of taylor dosey's ridiculous eccentricities like i think i think i would uh, i think i'd rather i don't know (laughs) you kind of have to wonder what the salary is like so probably mm, probably not very much and i would think and i would argue that like taylor only has the town selectman job because he you know because He he has is because he has very little in his life and he loves yeah and he has free time basically yeah like i would no i would get i would more than guarantee that any any income that taylor dosey has comes from his businesses oh for sure i'm not saying like that's how he's making his living i was just on the properties he owns (laughs) for sure um but yeah so lorelei asks lane's band to play at the victory party i guess Mm mm-hmm and how unrealistic is it that you're listening to the song for the first time right before you're about to go on? <laughs> for a little garage band in Stars Hollow, apparently not. Like you don't have to practice? <laughs> you know the lyrics? Like everyone's that, good? Okay. Yeah, that considering like none of them actually like the song. And yeah. I don't know why anyone was surprised. Like, were you surprised they put their own spin on it? Like, No, not at all. I also just think that's a terrible song. It is. <laughs> um, so no, I'm not surprised that they put their own spin on it because all the conversations the band has had in the past about what rocks and what doesn't mm. uh, would be a pretty good indication to me that this does not rock, you know? So yeah. no, I'm not surprised at all. Um, on, that, on that note, we did touch on this a bit in our last episode, but it was more so obvious in this episode Um 
to have two blondes <laughs> ruling over ruling over Zach just because he's in a band. Yeah. In a band in Stars Hollow. Like yeah. to me playing one of the worst songs known to man. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's a very dated sexist notion, even for 2004. Like I think I don't know what they were I think they were just they didn't give that much thought to it. But yeah, I think um, it was I I honestly think it was just a like you said a dated thing like groupies as a thing we don't we tend not to think about them as much in this day and age like they still exist but, it's, oh, but it's, I'm sure they still exist but it's but in like, different they exist for like people that are touring the world not Zach and his Stars Hollow band <laughs> okay who I'm sorry at this point in time suck. <laughs> Well, he's not a good singer, and I've said that before, <laughs> and it still angers me. <laughs> but yeah. like Gil's guitar playing of the Star Spangled Banner was great, and you know he's a guitarist in real life. Yeah. Um, but he's the ugh, Zach is just awful. And I think obviously it's to serve it's to serve the purpose of, um, you know driving Lane's jealousy and her want her needing to admit her feelings to Zach. Like, I think that's the whole point of having the groupies present, but it's just, it's gross. And it, it's gross on many levels for one. It's a stated sexist notion to have just two random blondes fawning over some rock singer for the sake of having them. Drool we use that rock. term very loosely, yeah, loosely, like literally, literally a teenage burnout singing in a rock singing in a garage band in small town Connecticut like calm down and by the way Connecticut least hardcore state in all of the United States <laughs> just That's not surprised um I've been to Connecticut and I can confirm that um so it, but it's also gross on a level of it kind of encourages this whole aesthetic that was written for Zach that really doesn't hold up well at all in a in a 2022 context and sad and i'm sad it's it's sad to, sad to think that it held up in a 2004 context either of just like we've touched on this we've touched on this before but not as much in depth i don't think in terms of like zach's toxic masculinity and his uh overt homophobia on many different occasions and it wouldn't i think it would have been easy for it to fly under the radar in 2004 like that was kind of a thing in the 2000s more so than other eras of like calling things gay and whatever like it was present in other eras too but i can remember growing up in the 2000s it was a thing um i'm sure you can recall that too <laughs> so um to me it's just like the groupies kind of just reinforce that aesthetic of even in the grocery store in this episode where he's like the only thing less rock and roll than coupons is that shirt you're wearing like Okay. It's a recession, goddammit. <laughs> I'm going to clip those goddamn coupons. And I think it it obviously indicates as an insecurity on Zach's part, but I'm not even going to I'm not even going to deign to psychoanalyze Zach because he's not worth it. I think it's just I don't know, to me it's it's gross and like I said it was it was easy for it to fly under the radar in 2004, but through through the eyes of Tammy Faye in 2022 I think it's uh it's just a big no for me yeah I mean I think the one the one of the most insulting parts of the episode is when 
they go back to the apartment later Mm -hmm. and they're like you're so bad you know and whatever and brian's like i'm bad too um which was hilarious on my part because (laughs) brian you're clutching your inhaler like it's fine Um, and you're wearing tie over a t-shirt like yeah like something that's that's more 2004 than that yeah but i think um you know when he goes into the kitchen and lane is i guess preparing chips and dip because she's a good Mm -hmm. hostess he's like grab us a couple beers would you and i'm like um they're your guests they're your groupies fuck you i would literally chuck the beer cans at his head yeah i don't know why lane was like i think well i think she was distracted because she was like trying to get the courage to tell him Mm-hmm. Um, but it just seemed out of character for her to be like, yeah, sure, I'll get you the beers. Like, fuck off. And considering there's, like, a, a glaring inconsistency in, like, the values written for Lane's character in terms of we think of her as, as you know, kind of looking for the same qualities and, and values in, in a partner that she has in herself. And it's like, yeah. Zach does not have any of that, sweetie. Like, yeah, I really don't get it. If you're going to get a fixer-upper, get a home, not a man. Like, <laughs> Truer words have never been spoken. You know, I don't... I think literally the writers on this... Like, this... I, and that's why we shared that that Twitter thread that I found a few on our, a few episodes ago of just how depressing Lane's character arc gets with every rewatch. And I think, I think this is when the downfall really begins of pairing her with Zach. And it's like... I don't know. Like I said, I don't want to psychoanalyze Zach because he's really not, like, the character was not thought out with that much depth. And I think the same can be said for Brian, Gil, any other side character, really. And it's annoying because they gave Lane a lot of that depth that wasn't given to the other side characters. So we expect more from her storyline, and we just didn't get it at all. Yeah. Ever. And also, <laughs> um, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong or let me know if you disagree. But I also think this idea of wanting a fixer upper man is also a trope that's overly used in media. Yeah, and especially like, like especially from this era as well. Yeah, like this idea of like I can change him. And I don't even know if that was ne- necessarily like on Lane's radar. No, this- I don't think it's on her radar, but I think why the 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 relationship why they thought that the relationship was a good idea is because we see Zach in like seasons three and four as being this like, like idiot. And then (laughs) the way they're trying to sell him to us now is that like, he's a good guy kind of thing. Like Lane sees the best in him. And like, so I don't think that's what they were necessarily going for, but Mm -hmm. um, I do think that like the reason they thought it would be a lot better is because there's tons of examples of girls thinking that they can that the guy will change for them or that they can somehow make him better or you know what I mean like oh he's not like this with other people like kind of like a Rory and Jess situation yeah like even even you saying that thing like I think back to like the house party when Jess was right was, was being a little twerp to everybody and being rude and she's like oh he's not feeling well and like that wasn't a whole selling point of Jess and Roy's relationship, as we know. But yeah, um, yeah it, it, there's you're right. There's a hundred different examples of that in media from a hundred different eras of film, television, etc. Um, and I, as even as you're saying all of that, like I 100% agree. Like the thought process probably was rooted in some kind of 
version of that trope of the fixer upper man. But then another part of me is like, how much want to bet the writers didn't even give it that much thought? Like it wasn't even that deep. It was like, yeah, oh, we need to store land for, we need to store land for Lane. Uh, how about I love the one you're with kind of thing with her and Zach at the end. Yeah. Period. Mic drop. Like, know. you know, I think because depend because seeing how the rest of her storyline goes in seasons five, six, and seven, like it's really not that deep. So I I have to think it was like a 50-50 of like that's how the writing what's that's what the writing was rooted in. But on the other hand, it's like meh, whatever. <laughs> Yeah. Or maybe they started with good intentions and then they were just like, we're in way over our heads. Fuck Lane. It really would have been interesting to see. And I don't know, obviously, how it would have gone because he wasn't necessarily contracted or how like how much he would have been interested in, in, in doing with the show. But it really would have been interesting to see if Adam Brody hadn't been cast on the OC and had, like he was just like he was a recurring character throughout season three. Like he wasn't necessarily bound to the show he you know he, if he hadn't gotten the oc he could have gotten something else yeah but it would have just been interesting to see if adam brody had stuck around past that point like the direction in which lane's storyline would have gone because as we know like season three spent a lot of time on lane and dave and that was a relationship that fans even now acknowledge should have should have lasted you know so yeah. And that's, as everyone knows, that's why, that's what irritates me about um, Dave's character is because they put so much time and effort only for him to say chow bye. So, yeah, I don't know, in conclusion, but also <laughs> um, just they should have done better with Lane's character and her storyline. Yeah, I agree. And mm. I think everyone agrees. Yes. <laughs> um, honestly, I think that's all I had to say for this episode. My one last note, seeing as how we were talking about Lane, was when they were walking through the grocery store and with the coupons and <laughs> Brian's keeping count. Like my, f- all I could think of was imagine Lane, Zach, and Brian grocery shopping with current inflation prices. Oh my God, I, I wrote a note about that too. Thank God, thank God you said something because <laughs> as they were grocery shopping and I'm looking at the prices behind them, I'm like, <laughs> take me back. Like I'm sorry, one what was it, one twenty seven or something for a jar of jam? Yeah. What universe? Yeah, but I'm also looking at the signs in the background and like the prices of lettuce, and I'm like, have you seen a head of lettuce? What it costs right now? It's literally like what? I think it's like seven or eight ninety nine here. It's probably even more in Toronto for you. Yeah. So the other day, a head of iceberg lettuce at the grocery store here was um on the cheaper side for six ninety nine, and I was like, excuse. Oh my god! And then at it was the Walmart, in- sorry. I was gonna say at the Walmart here, it's literally like eight ninety nine, the That's cheapest lettuce. My God! So uh, yeah, would love to live <laughs> in the two thousand world, two thousand four world of Stars Hollow just for the lack of inflation prices. Yeah, and I I need a a mini Brian to follow me around the grocery store with a calculator. <laughs> Lane, that's a real brand. Lane, put it back. <laughs> yeah. Because sometimes I'm putting things in my carriage and I'm like, Eleni, who are you shopping <laughs> for? Um, Yeah, I'm just, uh, it's awful. The prices these days are awful. And I mean, that's, you know, the consequences of a global pandemic and a war in Russia and a Ukraine and um, all kinds know, of good stuff. I don't know what you're talking about. It's all Biden's fault. Okay. 
I mean, inflation is at a record high in a bunch of different countries, so it's not. But anyways. Gas prices and inflation are Biden's fault. Okay. They're actually corporate America's fault because they pay (laughs) themselves huge bonuses. Okay. Uh, Let me tell you something about vaccines. Vaccines are not what they're cracked up to be. Okay. And if you click on this link, I'll tell you what's really going on in the deep state. God, I can't. (laughs) Also, take me back to the year 2004 where I didn't have to deal with these stupid fucking people. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were, they always kind of existed. They're just, yeah, but I could kind of hide them away, you know? They're waiting for their moment to shine. Thanks, Trump. Anyways, where can they find us, Jeffrey? Oh, they can follow us on the socials, on tweeters at Gilmore Podcast, on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast. You can please and thank you support us on Patreon, should you so desire, um, in exchange for a nominal fee each month. You will gain access to our um, bi-monthly email newsletter and any bonus episodes that we may or not may or may not be recording in the near future. Um, you can do so at patreon.com slash Gilmore Girls Podcast. And if you'd like to email us, you can do so gilmorepodcast at gmail.com. We're really excited about this week's newsletter because we got to recap Lauren Graham and Amy Sherman Palladino's Zoom talk. So. Who's this we? You've been saying we, and it was you. I didn't go. <laughs> okay, well, we are a team, are we not? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Woo! Okay. Anyways, thank you so much, guys. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.